Hello, and it's time for Coffee with Curators. I'm the curator at River Reviews Art Space, Brooke Marcy. And I'm assistant curator Meg Weston. Uh, just like always, River Reviews Art Space is a nonprofit arts organization in downtown Lynchburg. And we're dedicated to exhibiting contemporary art in our art galleries and making contemporary art accessible within our community. This podcast is just one way we hope to connect our audience with our artists beyond our exhibit. Our guest is currently exhibiting in our Toretta Carey Gallery. She is a fellow professor at University of Lynchburg and a local artist, Kelsey Finkenberg. having me so happy to be here with you guys so our percolator is just two questions since you were here for install we got to know everyone pretty solidly during that weekend of installing your work uh so what has been your biggest craving during this pregnancy (laughs) that you're literally (laughs) almost done with so yes, I am now only five weeks away and the baby Tinklenberg will be here. Um, I love this question. Yeah, because um, both Meg and Brooke helped so much with the install as well as my husband and sister because I was, yeah, eight months pregnant installing a, a large solo show. Um, it happens. But, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I love it. Um, Man, biggest craving. I've been, um, it's been a lot of berries, honestly. Um, Blackberries, blueberries, raspberries. Um, But I think, yeah, also just like salty food. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, any chance, you know, I get to like throw in the excuse of, well, I'm pregnant and I want, (laughs) this is what I want right now. So, um, so you, you haven't gone the- yeah spicy food I've been wanting a lot of spicy food dairy mm-hmm. cheese but you know uh, a little bit of everything yeah yeah no, everything no <laughs> yeah. uh and uh when this little guy is in the world this baby Tinklenberg what is going to be the first caffeinated beverage you're going to inhale oh yeah <laughs> The coffee will be, yeah, number one. <laughs> I definitely miss the coffee. My sister, when she had her baby last year uh, in the thick of the pandemic, she was just like constantly counting the days where she could get a bente at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a vat of coffee, yes, please. I could, I, I am definitely a coffee drinker. And so <laughs> the percolator was like, man gotta be here with my decaf but <laughs> I I definitely it, it helps me survive as an artist as an artist it's very essential to have a caffeine addiction I think <laughs> it really is and my caffeine addiction didn't really start till graduate school did yours start before graduate school or did it become it was it was it like intensified during graduate school graduate school was my downfall it definitely it came- heightened <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely heightened in graduate school yes <laughs> as someone who started in undergrad now i worry if i take on a graduate program that i may just reach the point of no return and just become yeah. coffee <laughs> no regrets though it's it's a worthwhile experience it is and i tell you just read an article while i was eating my lunch on the importance of coffee and caffeine and how it's good for you as long as you don't drink too much. So, yes, right. Everything okay. in moderation. Right? Yeah, everything. You haven't started. Does <laughs> anybody else drink? This is also my weird obsession, which is kombucha. Mm. I've never had kombucha, but I'm willing to try it. I just drink it. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing that you drink because it's really good for you. And you say, why did I drink that? And then you drink another one and you're like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and by the third one, you're like, "Ooh, I kind of like this." <laughs> I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I've had some kombucha. Yeah, you just—it's an experience. You just like, you know. It it is, and when I started drinking it, it was before they realized that the alcohol content was too high. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, that's another beverage I've, I haven't had since I've been having since I've been pregnant, but. <laughs> you're wise not to partake yeah Yeah. (laughs) but I like I like it too but yeah I think more for the experience and not necessarily because it's like (laughs) I know you're not like oh this is tasty (laughs) (laughs) like yeah it's a little bit of a punch in the face a little bit (laughs) I like that experience I, I love how you put it. I love how you put it because I can never figure out why I drink it. For the experience. <laughs> and I think you just answered that yeah. question. It's the experience of drinking kombucha. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well said. All right. Time to get this podcast started then, now that we've had our fun. <laughs> so, Chelsea. The exhibit in our gallery has a lot of moving parts, literally. Uh, yes. Can you talk about the development of the work on display right now? That's a yes, big question. I, I know, it's like a pretty <laughs> broad question. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, initially, yeah, so the, I mean, the work started, I think, in in graduate school, I, you know, my work became a lot more immediate and accessible, I think, um, in terms of even my use of found objects. Um, In this case, um, a lot of objects of utility. These are a lot of cleaning objects, but my interest, I think, you know, stemmed from growing up in shop classes, taking shop classes, building things, and being interested in um, objects of function, so hammers and chisels, and um, yeah, and so in my thesis, I, I developed a body of work um, with cleaning utensils, with brooms and mops, and so I took this opportunity to sort of expand upon, um, yeah, that initial body of work. Um, I played around with doing, I got, I've got this amazing, like, 1940s baby carriage. I thought about doing some baby theme <laughs> art, but that's going to be next, I think. Um, You've got time. Yeah, I've got yeah. time. So, um, and then under, um, yeah, so there's this body of work that I had. Um, I graduated just two years ago. Um, so relatively fresh 
Um, but then, you know, with the pandemic happening and creating, you know, some new pieces for the work, um, I totally kind of like re, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm looking at the work, the, this body of the work that I made two years ago in a, in a totally different light now that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, even just like our relation to cleaning objects and cleaning kind of like containing um, this unknown or unseen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Invisible right. virus. And so it just happened that, you know, these mops that were like spinning in the air now maybe take on another social context or association for people that are going to be viewing them that I thought was interesting. Right. Ooh, absolutely. That was, that, that, that's, you know, what I find is, you know, if I leave work and come back to it, it always has, it has the same meaning, but it always takes on a different meaning. And in that way, I think as artists, our work evolves even to us. Totally. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, you finished this series and you've moved, you know, you're going to, a series develops over time. And as you revisit it, um, can absolutely start to take on um, meaning that you had no idea that it, when you actually created the work, I've had that happen with a couple of pieces in which I just stopped and looked at them. I was just like, oh, that's what you mean. I was like, but I made you like seven years ago. Yeah. (laughs) It's totally true. And I think someone asked me while I was making these pieces, um, you know, is this a commentary on like your statement on cleaning? Is this a glorification of cleaning or like a disdain for cleaning? And, And I was like, well, I mean, it was a good question. It made me think about it because I think neither <laughs> I think my my work is not I, I think is a misconception that you know artists are just like standing on pedestals <laughs> making statements I think more interested in becoming part of a conversation and creating work um, that hopefully engages yeah the viewer on multiple levels um, and with my own work I found more like more effective and more um, exciting was the possibility to ask questions through my work rather than make statements mm-hmm. and so yeah in that like what you're saying Brooke you know, like the, the work yeah it's totally um it's open I think it's it's meant to be open-ended and also yeah um have those different connotations or interpretations by different people who are reviewing them yeah and that's what happens when you ask questions instead of saying you know this is what this means. And then just kind of closing yourself off. And I do know one artist who said, this is what I mean. And when people saw other things in his work, he teared, he destroyed all the work. He was not going to allow that work to mean anything, but what he said it was. And which I was like, that's no fun. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So, so I love that you say you ask questions because questions are open-ended and they lead to more questions. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, with each of the with with each of the pieces in the show, there's, you know, there's a story behind them, and there's my own memories and kind of interpretation, um, or anecdotal sort of <laughs> um, side stories about the work. But um, one thing I love more and more is like creating work that's accessible on multiple levels. So even seeing kids come to the show. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> We've had a group come through since you've been Yeah. There. Oh, good. There's We're all about those mops, man. Uh, groups of kids. And right. And so um, seeing them interact with the work um, is great for me because like I want the work to be accessible on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to skip to a question because you kind of touched on this. Uh, do you see a narrative in this work and symbolism, even if you're trying to leave it open-ended, do you still find yourself putting those traditional elements to this non-traditional? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a great question because, of course, you know, in grad school, I mean, I did, I wrote a whole thesis about, right. <laughs> in fact, I guess on the whole, the more, I guess, art-speak side of things, mm-hmm. um, the narrative um or I guess maybe common thread in in a lot of the work with these objects of utility um, has to do with functional fixedness, which is a cognitive bias in our society that tells us or that (laughs) makes us think, okay, when you have a broom, a broom is for sweeping, a hammer is for hammering, Uh, uh, scissors are only for cutting. And so it can be, it can be a problematic pattern of thinking limits our creativity. And so that, that's part of what I'm thinking about when I'm <laughs> having these brooms dance around in the air, um, an object that you have a very specific connotation for um, and a very specific use and then totally upending that. Um, and so that's not only in the, like the role, I guess, of, of the brooms, um, but even how I use materials, um, I'm using plumbing fixtures and valves and things that, you know, an engineer would be like, that's not for a sculpture. <laughs> and so I think part of the work is imagination and play in the use of those objects. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I kind of can think, you know, more broadly about, you know, our own, like, patterns of thinking and roles that we put ourselves in in society (laughs) that would be I guess some of the you know the narrative even you know the domestic side of you know traditional women role (laughs) using these cleaning objects oh I'm so glad you said that because that was in my head and I was like (laughs) yeah I was like do we want to go there because (laughs) taking it in in a really totally total or different different direction but it was like, interesting because you have inspired me I was out with a friend and her daughter the other day and her daughter had an umbrella and I watched that umbrella become like five different things in the matter of half an hour it became a flying machine I love it, became, it. you know and I was like this is exactly what Kelsey is doing yes you know, it's thinking like you know, as, as kids allow themselves to see, you know, an umbrella, we're like, yeah, we get it out when it rains. But to her, this umbrella was a wheel. It was, it was all these many different things um, that I was embarrassed to say, I don't see anymore. I'm sorry, I don't see. Yeah. I don't, you remember, jump, did other people jump off the steps? You had the umbrella and you thought you'd fly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, and then, yeah, and I'd just been with your work and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what Kelsey's doing. She's allowing us to see things like, you know, 
as we did with kids when we didn't put limits on objects and and assign them functions and yeah yeah no i'm glad you mentioned that with the umbrella that's because yeah that's totally what it is i'm trying to like free up our imagination yes and, and i'm sorry and i'm sad to say i didn't i don't know that i would have seen it if i hadn't just been in the gallery around her work and then walked out with her i i hope to, that i would have seen the five different um functions the umbrella began to play but if you hadn't have woken that up inside me, I don't know that I would have seen that. So thank you, Chelsea. Oh, oh thanks. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. I I mean, I surprised myself too. I I, I will say like, I, I never looked at cabbages in the grocery store the same anymore. Um, and a couple summers ago, I, I, was, I was doing a sculpture, re a residency at a sculpture park in Minnesota called Franconia. Um, and part of our, we were like intern residents. And so part of that, we would go and have a, it was like a work trade, work share trade at a farm. <laughs> and so actually seeing cabbages in the ground and, and working with them, and we were throwing them in the air <laughs> to like, to the next person, like on the cart, it was crazy because it was like, my work was coming to life, like really, oh. There are places in the world where cabbages are being thrown around in the air. <laughs> I had a similar experience because like, oh yeah, you know, it's one thing to use these objects, but then yeah, to totally kind of look again. And <laughs> yeah, and to, to, to see the potential in objects, we're, we're too fast to label objects um, when actually they have vast potential beyond our labels. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Um, okay, let's see. Um, Meg, you want a second question? Uh, I could, I could ask, I could ask that, or we could yeah. jump to yours. It's up to you. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Well, you find your, your elements or your hardware in salvage yards. Yeah. So, what is that like? Do you know you need this part and go out, or do you just, let's see what, what parts we find? Um, good question. <laughs> That's a great question. I think both happen because sometimes I'm like, man, I'm really looking for a certain type of metal and I'm going to like go on hunt, <laughs> like a treasure hunt, going to look for it. Um, and then other times and more often than not, it's just walking through the junkyard and discovering things. Um, I mentioned in my artist statement, but um my grandfather growing up he had a salvage yard so a salvage business and so um even as kids are running around like you know basically their backyard um was just full of all kinds of we called treasures right and so i kind of relate back to that experience of discovery as a child like looking and discovering objects and my grandpa explaining he just has a vast knowledge of all of these objects, like, oh, do you know what that's like? Pick up this rusty piece of metal that totally just, you know, discarded. And he's like, oh, you know what how that's for or where that come came from or the history of this object. And so I think, yeah, every time I, I walk through a junkyard, I, I do think back to that, those times walking around with my, my grandpa. Um, and yeah, finding objects that are um, out of place or 
objects that I'm very interested in, just the way they look at or the history of those objects. Cool. Color, color is a part of it sometimes, like these, um, the piece not for sweeping on these bright blue, call them blueberries, <laughs> because in the junkyard, um, they just like stood out like crazy, these bright blue plumbing fixtures in the sea of rusty metal. And so I think color is something I'm thinking of. Maybe not always consciously, <laughs> that color just attracts me. <laughs> oh my goodness, absolutely. Um, but you, you speak about the importance of humor and quirkiness uh, in your work. And I, I guess it was actually quite a few years ago and in a class I had a student make the statement that art couldn't be funny. No! No! no. And you, got, you guys, this broke my heart. I think everybody heard my heart go. I was like, no. I was like, art, art is an expression of all human emotions. And, yeah. and humor is one of our, our greatest um, emotions and, and gifts. And, 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 I, and of course, it's allowed in art. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like so exciting you know when i see your work and it just honestly it just makes you smile but could you talk a little bit about the um the importance of the humor and i love the fact that you use quirkiness because if you haven't noticed you're talking to two quirky people <laughs> who, who yeah. yeah who embrace their quirky i love it try uh, to embrace quirky <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the humor because it's so important. Um, but I think I mean for a lot of artists, myself included, it took me a while to like embrace or take humor seriously, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think because like especially you know you're starting out you know as an art student maybe in undergrad or even early grad school and you're really you know you're you really high expectations for yourself to create serious work <laughs> but when I discovered and and even um found art that I was drawn to it was the humorous work um <laughs> art that totally yeah like I think what you said Brooke is per is exactly it is art that made me smile um and and I think for a while I did fight against it I was trying to you know, maybe like would use like playful color, but not really like totally embrace like humor. Um, I, I had some really insightful professors in grad school that were kind of seeing <laughs> what I was trying to go after, but they, you know, they could see it was totally not like, I don't know, committing <laughs> to the, the, the quirkiness or humor. Um, and I had one professor in a critique, he said, why don't like, you're making this work? Like, why don't you make work for your friends? Like make work that you want to see and that your friends want to see. <laughs> and so I think about that a lot now that, you know, making my work because like it's so easy as artists to be like making work for the gallery or, or right <laughs> um, for this. Yeah, like pre presentation that's like, OK, <laughs> I, I don't know, like a very yeah more serious way. But like I make work now I am I'm like excited to show my friends or or. I'm excited, yeah, for people to come in and smile and see it. Isn't that isn't that amazing? Because I think I went through the same thing. I always put have put humor in my work too. Um, even if even if I just think it's funny, okay, even if even if it's my sense of humor. 
But I, I had the same problem with um, going into and thinking, my would would humor be taken seriously? So I needed gotcha. permission. Totally. Um, you know, as I look back, and I was the same as you. We had a we had a great mentor, a great head of the painting department, who well, a friend of mine was really struggling, and she said, "What do you want to do?" And he said, the, "His concepts were just weren't there." And he said, "I want to build a rocket ship in my studio." And she said, "Well, from God's sake, go build a rocket ship in your studio." And he's like, "But I can't do that." And she said, "Why?" And he went and he built a rocket ship in his studio. And he has not looked back. That's and, amazing. And, yeah. And so when I when I think of that, it's it's I think not only was she giving permission to him, but she was giving permission to all of us by saying, for heaven's sake, just go do what you want. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So what so what you're talking it. talking about just absolutely resonates with me. Oh my goodness. Same same experience in, in grad school that like what was I permitted to do? Yeah, and it's back, I mean, back to you know the imagination, right? We're really, you know, fully kind of using our imagination and creativity. We should like fun should be allowed. Yes. But, but sort of these blocks in our in our work. Oh, absolutely. And and kind of needing the confidence to to really be true to ourselves. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you get in graduate school, I think I did, was the confidence to be me. Totally. And I think that came from the professors. Um, I don't even know that they realized that that's one of, one, of the, one of the tasks they were fulfilling was saying, you can be you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Giving yeah. you permission. And yeah, and, I, and for me too, it was just the exposure. Um, I got to go to the the Venice Biennale um, oh, so in the middle of our well our whole um, cohort <laughs> uh, got to go to the Venice Biennale and so even just yeah that experience of being exposed to a lot more <laughs> types of art um, current art um, I got to see the art of Irvin Verm <laughs> and those of you haven't seen him uh, he, he has just like some really fantastic work that that is um, he totally embraces humor <laughs> um, and his work is interactive. You're, there's little tiny like Sharpie drawings that tell you what to do, um, <laughs> whether it's like just standing on a cooler or putting your elbow through the side of an RV. <laughs> he just has these amazing um, installations that um, activate viewer participation, but then just totally embrace the absurd. Mm -hmm. So it's in, you know, and I, that's actually what your art did with me and the umbrella. You it. opened up that world to me um, at that moment. And I don't even know if we think about the fact that, that our art sometimes is, is opening up the ability in someone else to create, uh, use their imagination. So, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm so glad you brought up the stories umbrella. I love really, that. I mean, I, I honestly am not going to forget that because the whole world changed for me when I walked out of your exhibition onto the street with a uh, five-year-old in an umbrella. Uh, I think. I mean, I one of my I guess stories about like I guess my umbrella story would be <laughs> my my related to the broom. 
Um, my grandma's like a super strong woman. And so she's, she, she, this is the same, um, the wife of my grandpa who had the salvage business and they had an antique shop, but they, you know, out in the country, working the farm, very strong woman. I'm like, remember her holding a broom, um, but doing everything with the broom, but sweeping. <laughs> Either like swatting the cobweb or spider, or like she would use it. Like we, they had cats and dogs. And so she was always very protective of the cat. So I always remember her sort of like chasing the dogs away. <laughs> but I I don't really remember as much of the sweeping just like doing all kinds of other things with that broom and I (laughs) I love it oh my goodness that's marvelous um I I was reading through and then looking at at um your artist statements over the years and then I I and I came across the kind of the, the your idea of the presence of precarious nature among um object yeah um, and i really do see that in in the show um i see that and and i love how that i i love that in combination with with the humor yeah totally um so do you see that as, as well as being that precarious nature of your object yeah yeah okay. i think um and that for a while was like, yeah, maybe even before I embraced the the humor, I was thinking a lot about balance. Um, and so maybe more, I guess, formally or sculpturally, um, I loved like the process of bending objects, kind of pushing their limit. Like how far could I bend the piece of metal or piece of wood before it broke, right? Or like sort of pushing the material limitations of the of the materials I was working with but yeah very much thinking about um the precarious balance (laughs) in life (laughs) and so um yeah I I think it it really did I think like what you said like bringing in um the humor um it it just accentuated and kind of like brought it all all around because without that there w- there's tension in, in the balance right and so the yeah. humor sort of breaks that tension yeah and that's exactly what i was thinking i was like that that balance brings such tension but the humor smooths it makes it totally oh it's all yeah. gonna be okay <laughs> yeah totally yeah. yeah i um when i was in sixth grade i i uh earned some dog walking money from <laughs> one of my teachers i walked walked her dog and I bought a unicycle. <laughs> and so, precarious nature. Yes. And so that actually is something I think about a lot uh, in my work is sort of, and if you, have if you ever seen someone ride a, a unicycle, it looks very graceful. Most likely you're seeing them like ride down the street. But if you watch someone learning how to ride a unicycle, it is just like, it is so <laughs> absurd. Um, and, and so actually when I, you know, was learning, I mean, and we had a lot of techniques like down the hallway, you got two sides of your arms or <laughs> along a fence, my mom and my brother holding me up. Um, but to really be able to learn to ride the unicycle, I just had to flail my arms around like a crazy person. 
<laughs> and that's what allowed me to like be able to ride on my own and have and like overcome this balance was just like total absurdity wailing my heart <laughs> like that, that that chaos yeah through the but, chaos but, you were able to find the balance exactly. but the chaos yep. <laughs> do you still unicycle yeah i do i i don't have one here with me in virginia um it's back home in arizona but yeah That's i awesome. i still <laughs> i still can ride a unicycle it's like we found your hidden talent or something <laughs> Oh, yeah, I need to bring one up. You do. You you need to be you need to be going around University of Lynchburg on your unicycle. <laughs> oh, the students would love that. Yeah, that's this, that's this 3D professor. She she's on her unicycle. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been a good idea while I've been pregnant. So it's no, good. no, this is definitely <laughs> like after that I've uh, left it there. But yeah, I I I need to get back into it. Yeah. Is it like riding a bike? <laughs> no pun intended. I love. There might have been um, no pun intended there. You pick it. You pick it up again. It. I definitely like. You get out of practice. Like I feel like bicycle is just like yeah. It's like riding a bicycle. Get back yeah. on. <laughs> but you do definitely. I think. I mean, well, the unicycle too just takes so much core muscle. Oh yeah, um, I can imagine. But yeah, I think I'm a little bit out of unicycling shape right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. I have, since you touched on uh, how color kind of influences your choices at the salvage yard, uh, what about in the final pieces that you make, what level of importance is color and shape and line and all those traditional elements um and are these underlying elements that create a continuity in your work totally i love that question because i think for a while like i permitted myself to make decisions in the junkyard but not like in the studio <laughs> not in the studio or not at the store because i mean that's another thing in my work i not only do i use objects from the junkyard but i buy brooms from the hardware store or from like a fresh right new broom online um and so i think for a while i i permitted myself like oh i can only use like if i find find it in the junkyard then it's like authentic but i wouldn't let myself like buy objects and use it in my art um but now um yeah i i totally mix old and new and i have sort of bro broken through and allowed myself um yeah like to buy a broom or find a purple pur purple bristle broom head <laughs> um it's totally intentional um it I mean it's it's part of the discovery too you know you don't necessarily know what color broom you're gonna find um but yeah it, it does provide a continuity i think that was a that was a good way of putting it. it provides a continuity in the work um and then also as i'm thinking um more art speak but yeah thinking formally about color line shape um you know using repetition of color selectively to tie the work together. Just yesterday, 
I had a woman uh, passing through and she saw the lemons that we placed on the other side of the room. Near yeah. The, yeah. Near the words. And she was trying to figure out if the distance between the lemons on the wall and the one inside the piece with the two brooms suspended from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the produce scale. She was like, what is, is there like, what conversation is she trying to get? I and I got it. to be like, oh, Chelsea just had extra lemons when she was installing. <laughs> Um, that's fantastic well i mean <laughs> like she wasn't wrong i was like wow yeah no someone could spend some time trying to decipher that <laughs> i love that well i mean that's what i think is an exciting thing about sculpture in general or um i guess art uh, yeah for me it's it, it's um <laughs> it becomes not only a conversation within like right if you were working on a canvas it's kind of you're limited to canvas um mm -hmm sculpture engages with the space in a totally different way so and I think in especially in um at Riverviews this just allowed my my work to really expand across the space and not only does a piece interact within itself but it interacts with the piece next to it and so <laughs> I love that color um and kind of an, an immersive environment like that can it's like you're walking inside of a painting <laughs> and so there are like relationships and I love that you know she was thinking about that because it's it's not wrong that you know that, oh. that there was that association it's just <laughs> yeah we also did just have extra lemons <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and we we're kind of trying to hide uh an octopus of, yeah. uh, <laughs> of electrical outlets um but yeah no it still leads the eye from one piece to another it did definitely it yeah i did i thought i thought they worked really well <laughs> yeah, and um paintings do that too i shouldn't i'm obviously biased <laughs> as a sculptor no, but a i don't want to under or underappreciate or undermine paintings totally do that and i think both meg and brooke as curators um are thinking about that as they install a show of 2D work, how is one work going to interact with the piece next to it or across from the gallery? Yeah. Um, I just think it is cool, like, you know, as, as you are walking into the gallery to make those associations, because I think it's something we do think about when we're curating or putting a show together. Yeah, it is. But, but I agree with you, the difference in sculpture, and that's it, honestly, Chelsea, it's exactly what we, what we do. Um, it's, it, it, when we're curating, a lot of it has to do with color and shape and how the color and shape relate to the colors and shapes next to them. And again, as you said, across the room. But I like what you said. I think I really think that the sculpture is is such an immersive. You become part of it. You're not looking. Yeah. You're looking at it, but you're also so much more a part of it. And I think you know when you walk into the space. That's we're so excited. We've had a lot of 2D shows, and we love the 2D shows. We're 2D artists. We love um, because we're 2D artists, and we love it, love it, love it. But but um, due to the pandemic, we just hadn't been able to put up much 3D work, and to have your work in the space was just an absolute breath of fresh air, because the space becomes the work, the work becomes the space. It's all one, and you as the viewer become part of it all. And it was so nice to have that experience again after such a, it'd been a long time, Meg, since we'd had. Yeah. 
3D work in there. So it is a very different um, experience going uh, the the sculpture brings. Yeah, it's just different. I'm always surprised. Like I've walked in the gallery, you know, over the last <laughs> few months getting ready to the show. And every time I was like, oh, I always forget like how much the space transforms even from 2D show to 2D show. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, this, yeah, I, I just love yeah. how the space can transform and become something else. It really does. And, and you know, in, in some instances, the space can compete with and dominate the work. And our space is so big that sometimes our our space will do that, and that is that is not a good thing. <laughs> it's a but, challenge as curators. Yeah, the challenge is curators, but of course, you're, you're there's no way that our space is going to dominate your work. Uh, uh -uh. <laughs> no, it, it is. I think they have a beautiful symbiotic relationship. And yes, I talk about our spaces, so it's a it's an entity because in a way it is because it does always change. We do personify a lot as we do we do i like i like pet the walls and the pillars and i'm like <laughs> i yeah. love it uh, yeah so okay um i love that in one of the quotes as i was reading through um some of your statements you use the word hope and i wanted to ask if you saw this work as being hopeful because i do oh that's a great question and we need hope right now. So. Yeah. No, totally. I think, um, I mean, humor throughout history has been a coping mechanism um, in a lot of ways. You know, we were talking about the precariousness of um, some of my early or other work or, or even this work, um, but the humor um, as being the antithesis of that precariousness or the the counterpart that kind of um yeah when you're yeah. balancing riding that unicycle that allows you to come up from the fall um yeah. and so I'm yeah I'm glad that you reminded me about the hope because I think yeah for sure especially you know in this crazy pandemic um it's e there's a lot of work that is being created um, in response to that and rightfully sort of mirroring a lot of the negative, which is important. <laughs> um, but I think my work maybe offers the alternative <laughs> um, and, and, and hope is, I think, a good word to, to summarize that, um, this sort of light at the end <laughs> of, of all of this, crazy time that we've been in um I mean even myself I talked about an artist statement it was like it was really challenging me like for me when I was teaching in this pandemic because I'm like what is the point of art <laughs> anymore <laughs> right when you really like are all you know yeah we're the, the whole world dealing with death and um just a very destructive depressing year <laughs> um but kind of seeing um, the potential for art to um, bring people together, um, for people to realize their commonalities and experiences, and then also, yeah, offer yes. <laughs> some hope. Yes, I, I think that is exactly 
what your work does. It has just made me happy, and I think a lot of people happy since the minute you started installing. Um, and I, yes, we have to remember the hope. And it's really during the pandemic, it's been really easy to forget that. And I think yeah. a lot of us have forgotten it at times and struggled to find it again. And yeah. it's wonderful that your work kind of gives us a little bit of a bridge kind of back into that state of, of hopefulness and humor and you know just honestly just plain smiling because something oh. just makes you happy thank you um, yeah I, I guess yeah another thing I was thinking about with tension um you know when we are tense we we hold our breath yeah. and so laughter not only is a human experience it is a what is the word it's physiological it's a physiological mechanism that forces the person to breathe Breathe. and so i guess um not trying to you know overly emphasize my work but i hope that in a way allows to break that tension give people a breath (laughs) Well, that's what I just, I mean, that's what I say when you're, when I, oh my gosh, you're so, you're so spot on because what I, what I, every time I think I walk into your show, I'm like, it's a breath of fresh air. I can breathe in here. It's all about breath. And I didn't even make that association with the humor and the, but of course that. Yeah. Um, there was a, I, I, I want to do another series of work that's um, called Globus Hystericus um, <laughs> because Globus Hystericus, and it's something even I've, I experienced anxiety uh, a lot I have dealt with in my, in my life. And so Globus Hystericus is a feeling of having a lump in your throat, yeah. um, right? That feeling like, yeah. oh. You can't read or you, like read. I don't know that stage fright feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but but laughter, yeah, physically allows you to break that tension. Yeah. I also think it's just hysterical the name Globus Hystericus. I was right ra- almost has laughter in the name. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like break it down like it's Latin for like <laughs> and it's going to go deeper into the pandemic and you're like nah it's a lump in your throat that's what it means it's a lump in your throat (laughs) and so yeah i think yeah laughter (laughs) is a really important human mechanism it is and i think we forget about how important it is um which is we should never forget so we had a great conversation one day about, about the fact that neither of us really make artwork to sell yes oh yeah you're telling me about a conversation you just had with somebody about this kind of um you know this fact that that um it's always sort of a big question mark to a lot of people who are like well why don't you just make landscapes and i'm like yeah i I don't (laughs) um yeah Yeah, fun if you talk a little bit about that, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are artists and can can absolutely relate. (laughs) Yeah, so um, part of, you know, being able to make the work 
Um, I've been working over at Vector Space, which is a maker space in town, which has allowed me to have access to um, a full metal and wood shop to be able to build these things. And so it's been great because not only um, have I been able to use the tools, but safely interact, right? We're distanced and masked, but um, I've been able to interact with uh, some of the community like peripherally about the work. Um, <laughs> I have had quite a few conversations like people like looking at like, hmm, like, so this, this mop is spinning around. It does it does it clean the floor? Like, what's the purpose of this? Um, yeah, and I had someone like really trying to convince me, like, maybe if I like, I could probably like tell that you put a lot of work into this, Chelsea. There's a lot of skill involved. Maybe you could turn it into a lamp <laughs> and sell it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it was, um, it yeah, it was like, um, I was trying to explain that kind of, you know. It, this defeats the purpose of the work if I'm if I'm making something intentionally to sell it versus um <laughs> all these other ideas that we've been talking about um but yeah <laughs> yeah it, it 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 totally changes it <clears throat> and uh another question I had just kind of reading through some of your writing was I wanted I was just curious uh what are your thoughts on social media how do you feel about social media? Now, I personally oh, man. have mixed feelings. Social media is is um is crazy. Yeah, I um I had a <laughs> I had a joke with a friend um who was really good at like Instagram, and I became later Chelsea <laughs> because I am am the queen of of later grams, is right. what I call them. <laughs> I think I I struggle a lot because like I was getting ready for the show and I like I realized like oh my goodness I'm like two years behind on my feed and so I really realized the like the significance and importance of it but I think as maybe like I don't know my social anxiety with social media is a is a whole thing um I think it's an amazing tool and I need to like just embrace it but I do yeah like sometimes like struggle with the yeah the insta <laughs> and, and, and keeping up with it it's it, it's and also as an artist like the the public private is kind of like it's a struggle for me <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I think it is it always scares me as I think you make up an entity on social mm -hmm. media I don't know that that's really you yeah <laughs> yeah um and that to me is sort of i've always always thought of it as like a mask you put this mask on when you know you do your um social media and when you're done you take it off and there you are yeah totally um well and even more so with like even with like skype and zoom and google meet i was finding myself um just like even you know as a teacher because I'd be you know moving to um well, we had to move completely online for a little bit mm -hmm. um that I was losing my authenticity with the students and vulnerability and so what I did like pretty soon it was like okay we're we're not recording I mean in some cases we did record if the student couldn't be there 
But in general, my practice became not to record so that we could be more authentic. Like you guys are, I'm not a lecturer by, by any means in my personality or my teaching style. And so to move online and then like suddenly be like in front of the screen, it was weird. And I was finding myself like, yeah, just like totally filtering myself rather than like having more authentic conversations and so yeah pretty soon that that's what like if you're gonna have a zoom class with me yeah i tell you like okay you're just gonna get the raw unedited version yeah. of chelsea like we're gonna meet live these, yeah. are, not, these are not gonna be polished videos because nope. for me that completely um was counterintuitive to my teaching style because my teaching style is to take which goes back to, I guess, some of my work, this, this precarious balance, right, um, requires the flailing. You have to have the, <laughs> the flailing is required to kind of learn and connect and relate to each other. Yep. I'm, I, and I actually felt exactly the same way. I would get off of um, kind of, well, that's why I do very little asynchronous for the same reason. The only asynchronous I do is to write everything out and have it available for people who want, because there are people who learn in different ways. And so people learn better by reading through material and right. rereading and, and having references. Uh, because I found that when I got off of these meetings, I was sad. Yeah, totally. I, I was just plain sad. And I, yeah. I, I still feel that. And I think when I, you know, whenever I get off of a Zoom meeting, there's always that little tinge of sad. Yeah. Um, and, and it's missing being with you guys. Yeah. I'm sad I'm not with you. Yeah. I think is, is what it is. Um, so, yeah. I, I was yeah, there was an article and I need to like track it down because it was like one of those moments, like you're listening to the radio or NPR and I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. And then never followed up or like got the <laughs> oh, name. I do that all the time. <laughs> so they were talking about like this whole pandemic and they were talking about, it was, it was the aesthetic, aesthetic, I can now can't say it, the oh, aesthetization okay. of conversation, oh, aesthetization <laughs> of conversation. And just like how our, com yeah, like our view and, and like of conversation has changed because of this like Zoom <laughs> or virtual interaction, like you, in, when you're interacting with someone live, you're not aestheticizing <laughs> the, com the conversation is the conversation. And so this has become, yeah, like a whole issue or like even what we were talking about back before like how much are we filtering ourselves so the, the idea of authenticity it's like yeah yeah and it's it's very hard to be quirky and funny on <laughs> yeah <laughs> it doesn't always translate it just doesn't translate the same way <laughs> i did have a funny moment though like because i i did I would record, but not publish. I guess at the beginning, I would, because for the students that need Oh, for the students, yeah. Yeah, I would say, okay, we're going to like, we're going to record, but this is not going to be like fully published. So it would have a collection of like Google Meet videos. <laughs> at one point, they're all in the folder. And there's an image of me like across. <laughs> and I just have the goofiest faces <laughs> from screen to screen. I was just like, wow, this is what <laughs> my students are are interacting with some like just like the craziest facial expressions it was, it was 
it's, it's a great icebreaker, I tell you. I think it, it makes the students feel feel better. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not intimidating. A goofy face is not intimidating, and a goofy face is accessible. <laughs> That's what I like to say, because even Meg sometimes says, Brooke, watch your face. <laughs> well, the that. thing is, because I, I think that when I talk, I my mouth does just go all over the place like in catcher in the rye uh he describes the girl he likes as being muggled mouth because when she gets excited her mouth does like really weird emotional things and i've always related to that part but if your students are experiencing this on zoom with you i imagine especially because i've been in a studio with brooke that you are still making these faces in person <laughs> It's just not recorded on the internet where your brain is like, ooh. <laughs> so don't don't internalize the Zoom for that because if you're talking like that, you probably always talk like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's comforting or gonna like wake you up at three o'clock in the morning thinking that you make facial expressions. <laughs> I think goofy facial expressions are fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't help it. So I just, this is the face I got. This is the face you're going to get when I talk. And, and you don't really see those on selfies. No, yeah. well, social media is curated. <laughs> you only get the best selfies. Like, I only publish the best pictures of my cats. So, like... <laughs> You know, there's not that picture of Chaz with drool hanging off his fang. No, I don't put those. I do save those. But I don't <laughs> put those out. filter the pictures of your cat. Or I don't, you know, best. put the, the cat licking pictures up. Like, no, you just everything is polished on social media. So. <laughs> I love it. Excellent. Well, uh, so you've kind of touched on the one of the last questions I have for you uh, already. And it's just what we've kind of been asking everyone since we started this podcast in the pandemic is how has it affected your work? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were, I don't think I'm caught off guard with the facial expression thing. <laughs> I distracted you pretty um, well. With I, know, that. I know, but that, because I think we got to bring it back to um, business. We had yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I part of me, like, even in making work for the show, because, like, initially, you know, made the proposal for the show almost a year ago. And so, initially, what it did was it limited, I, I like more and more in my work, I'm making interactive pieces, pieces that, like, there's a chair that you sit in, or like, I made a swing, a swing set a couple summers ago. Again, like, I don't know, play, interaction was is important in my work and so that would be I guess the initial um effect <laughs> of the pandemic is that I had I couldn't the the work could not be physically interactive and so thinking about interaction in other ways um the kinetic and the motors are interactive by sight just not by touch and so thinking about yeah how to <laughs> how can you make work that's interactive but not right it, it just couldn't be the same um, during the pandemic with like objects that you can touch or move or levers. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, the other way it affected my work was just as a maker. Um, 
the isolation was not productive. Um, I think, I mean, for some artists it was or could be because, okay, maybe they suddenly had more time being stuck at home. But for me, my work very much thrives on community and interaction of other artists. And so it was very stifling and has been um, stifling to my work because I wasn't in the same environment either around my, when we talked about Zoom is just not the same, you know, like coming off a Zoom call or a Google meet with my class and not like not having the same, like when I teach, I'm gaining energy from my students, right? There's a lot of interaction that happens. And so through the Zoom call that wasn't happening, it would just like, yeah, it would leave the call like sad. And so I think my work was like totally at a standstill for a while. Like, oh my goodness, I should be making work. I have the solo show coming up, but it's not happening. What do I do? Um, And so um, being part of a community at Vector Space, even though it was like few and far between, like there would be like, I don't know, two of us (laughs) or three of us like in this big shop, but just that was enough. And I think having the prompt of this show was was a good thing for me to like kind of get out of my artist slump because it, I think, yeah, it would be I would be totally a lie to say that I was like that it didn't totally stifle my work because it did. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we do ask this question to all of our artists and the, the answer is interesting um, because there are some artists who absolutely thrive. For, and for some, you know, especially I think um, artists that don't work within a community, um, their lives didn't change that much. They right. still went to their studios, they still did their work, they still, you know, their, their lives weren't really altered all that significantly. Um, but I think for the majority, and I, I say myself too, Meg, I don't know, um, You'll have to say your side of things. I just have been not very productive. Uh, it's yeah. been non-existent. I've been sad. I've been anxious. Um, and then you get in a cycle of feeling guilty for not <laughs> making work. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the show is really good for me because it kind of like, me out of that a little bit because you know deadlines deadlines are good for artists deadlines um, are our friends and initially I you know was also like kind of like going through the same cycle in my mind like okay what's the point though like what's the point of making this art in a pandemic and show that like who's gonna see it <laughs> um but um I think on the other side of things like seeing you know some good things about like even the fact that we're doing this podcast right now or just how Riverviews has overcome things and like totally created virtual platform where maybe my art is now more accessible than it might have been um so trying to see both sides of things you don't have like the energy or or like uh, I don't know of a as many in-person people there at the same time but I, I have been encouraged by yeah like how Riverviews has um yeah still made it like a show and and is is making it the work accessible to people Excellent. But I mean, we have to big thank you to you mm-hmm. for showing during the pandemic, you know, knowing that things are going to be different and still giving it 110% of your energy and effort. 
um, we can't thank you enough because without you, there wouldn't be us. <laughs> thank you. Without artists to show in the middle of a pandemic, we can't really show anything in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, I hope it cheers people up. I mean, if nothing else, <laughs> I hope that because it it's it's fun for me too. So it's been it's been a really great experience. Oh, great. Well, we cannot thank you enough for taking your your time on this Sunday and it's beautiful outside. I hope you'll be able to go outside and do something yeah fun uh take your dog for a walk walk my dog yeah yeah mine, <laughs> mine's sitting here looking at me like um <laughs> i'm actually surprised they haven't been barked i was sure that there was going to be part of this podcast where my dogs were going to totally interrupt <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> we would have loved a good bark because mine would have barked and meg's cats would have been like <laughs> nah that could have been a fun thanks to <laughs> side conversations we could have just turned it over to them like yeah and the animal <laughs> podcast starts now <laughs> well, well thank, thank you. you so much for having me it's been great as yeah. always talking with meg and brooke hey we're wonderful we're, curators of you. we're gonna do it over coffee um real soon yes yeah. i'm looking forward to it good excellent well, try to enjoy this sunny day and um, keep making work because we love your work. Oh, thank we're you. We're your biggest fans and we hope that you always, you know, let us know when you're having an exhibition. And if you need help installing, guess who's there? I know who to call. We're there. <laughs> Excellent cabbage installers. <laughs> we're there for you. So. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> thank you, Chelsea.